opinions expressed on ACV Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Report of the ACB Constitution and Bylaws Committee, July 4, 2022. The Constitution and Bylaws Committee is pleased to submit the following proposed amendments to ACB's Constitution and Bylaws to the membership and recommends a due pass on all amendments set forth herein. Respectfully submitted, John A. McCann, Chair, ACB Constitution and Bylaws Committee. 2022-01, 2022-01, proposed amendment to ACB Constitution Article Roman numeral 6, paragraph C, to expressly specify that written electronic communications are acceptable when ACB board members request that a meeting of the board's executive committee be held. Article Roman numeral 6, powers and duties of the conference and convention, the officers, the board of directors, and committees. Current language. C. The board of directors shall be the governing body of this organization between conferences and conventions, provided that it shall make no policy decisions and take no official action in conflict with existing decisions or actions of the conference and convention. Two, the board of directors is hereby authorized to establish an executive committee consisting of five members selected and constituted in the following manner. Two members shall be elected by and from among the ten directors. Two members shall be elected by and from among the five officers and the immediate past president. The president shall serve as chairperson. Except for the president, no executive committee member shall serve for more than two consecutive one-year terms. The executive committee shall meet at the call of the president or upon the written request of three of its members. Such request shall be sent by any method which provides for written proof of receipt at least five calendar days prior to the proposed meeting day. In order to expedite the conduct of business, which cannot wait until a regularly scheduled meeting of the Board of Directors, the Executive Committee shall be authorized to act on behalf of the Board of Directors between regular meetings of that board, provided it shall make no policy decisions and take no official action in conflict with existing decisions or actions of the Board of Directors or the conference and convention. Minutes of each executive committee meeting shall be sent to each member of the board of directors within 15 days after the executive committee meeting, or at least seven days prior to the next meeting of the board of directors, whichever occurs first. Proposed strike the fifth sentence and replace with the following. Such requests shall be sent via any means of written electronic communication at least five calendar days prior to the proposed meeting date. If adopted, Article 6, Paragraph C would then read, The Board of Directors shall be the governing body of this organization between conferences and conventions, provided that it shall make no policy decisions and take no official action in conflict with existing decisions, or actions of the conference and convention. 
The board of directors is hereby authorized to establish an executive committee consisting of five members selected and constituted in the following manner. Two members shall be elected by and from among the 10 directors. Two members shall be elected by and from among the five officers and the immediate past president. The president shall serve as chairperson. Except for the president, no executive committee member shall serve for more than two consecutive one-year terms. The executive committee shall meet at the call of the president or upon the written request of three of its members. Such request shall be sent via any means of written electronic communication at least five calendar days prior to the proposed meeting date. In order to expedite the conduct of business which cannot wait until a regularly scheduled meeting of the Board of Directors, the Executive Committee shall be authorized to act on behalf of the Board of Directors between regular meetings of that board, provided it shall make no policy decisions and take no official action in conflict with existing decisions or actions of the Board of Directors or the Conference and Convention. Minutes of each executive committee meeting shall be sent to each member of the board of directors within 15 days after the executive committee meeting, or at least seven days prior to the next meeting of the board of directors, whichever occurs first. The committee recommends to pass. 2022-02, proposed amendment to ACB Constitution Article Roman numeral 4, paragraph H, to specify that notice of special ACB board meetings be sent by written electronic communication rather than postal communication and shortening the time for such notice from 14 to 7 days. Article 4, Officers. Current language, H. The president may call a special meeting of the board of directors at any time and shall call a special meeting of the board upon the request of at least five members of the board. Written notice of the meeting shall be forwarded to each member of the board postmarked at least 14 days prior to the meeting date. The time, the location, and the specific purpose of the meeting shall be included in the notice. Proposed, strike the second sentence and replace with the following. Notice of the special meeting shall be sent to each member of the board via written electronic communication at least seven days prior to the meeting date. If adopted, Article 4, Paragraph H would then read... H, the president may call a special meeting of the board of directors at any time and shall call a special meeting of the board upon the request of at least five members of the board. Notice of the special meeting shall be sent to each member of the board via written electronic communication at least seven days prior to the meeting date. The time, the location, and the specific purpose of the meeting shall be included in the notice. The committee recommends do pass. 2022-03, proposed amendments to ACB Constitution, Article Roman numeral 4, paragraphs A and B, 
to raise the current limitation on the number of persons who may be elected as directors to the ACB board from any one state from one person to two persons and addition of new subsection C1 to clarify that no more than three persons from the aggregate of officers and directors may be elected from any one state nor more than two officers, nor more than two directors be elected from any one state. Article 4, Officers, Current Language. A. The officers of this organization shall consist of a president, a first vice president, a second vice president, a secretary, and a treasurer, and their terms of office shall be two years or until a successor has assumed the duties of the position. The officers shall be elected in each odd-numbered year at the annual conference and convention. No more than two officers shall be elected from any one state. B. In addition to the officers, this organization shall have 10 directors to be elected by the conference and convention for terms of four years or until a successor has assumed the duties of the position. Five directors shall be elected in each even-numbered year. No more than one director shall be elected from any one state. C. One, a candidate for the position of officer or director shall be considered from the state in which the candidate maintains legal residence at the time the election is conducted, and if elected, shall be considered to be a resident of that state until the end of that particular term. Two, for purposes of Section A and B, States shall be defined as the 50 United States and other political subdivisions of the United States, including but not limited to the District of Columbia, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, and other United States territories. Three. Officers and directors elected under sections A and B, respectively, shall assume their duties at the close of the conference and convention at which they are elected. Proposed to strike the last sentences of Article 4, paragraphs A and B, add an Oxford comma after the word secretary in the enumeration of officers in paragraph A, add new paragraph subsection C1 below, and renumber existing paragraph C subsections accordingly. C. 1. No more than three persons from the aggregate of officers and directors shall be elected from any one state, nor shall more than two officers, nor more than two directors, be elected from any one state. If adopted, Article 4, paragraphs A, B, and C would then read, Article 4, Officers. A. The officers of this organization shall consist of a president, a first vice president, a second vice president, a secretary, and a treasurer, and their terms of office shall be two years or until a successor has assumed the duties of the position. The officers shall be elected in each odd-numbered year at the annual conference and convention. B. In addition to the officers, this organization shall have 10 directors to be elected by the conference and convention 
for terms of four years or until a successor has assumed the duties of the position. Five directors shall be elected in each even-numbered year. C. 1. No more than three persons from the aggregate of officers and directors shall be elected from any one state, nor shall more than two officers nor more than two directors be elected from any one state. 2. Unchanged language of previous paragraph C1. 3. Unchanged language of previous paragraph C2. 4. Unchanged language of previous paragraph C3. The committee recommends do pass. 2022-04. Proposed amendment to bylaw 6B to impose a deadline for the submission of resolutions. Bylaw 6, committees. Current language. B. Resolutions Committee. The President, within 60 days after the close of each national conference and convention, shall appoint a chairperson and not less than four additional members as a Resolutions Committee. This committee shall receive and prepare resolutions to be considered at its opening meeting in conjunction with the ensuing national conference and convention. All resolutions submitted to the committee shall be reported upon with or without committee recommendation unless the resolution is withdrawn by its author or an individual representative of the author designated in writing. If a resolution is adopted by the conference and convention, and during this process any conflicting previously adopted resolutions are not rescinded, the most recently adopted resolution on the subject shall take precedence. Proposed. Strike the second sentence and add the following sentences. Any resolutions to be considered shall be submitted not less than 60 days prior to the record date of each conference and convention. Resolutions submitted after this deadline shall only be accepted if it can be demonstrated that circumstances effectively precluded their consideration prior to the deadline. The committee shall communicate this deadline using the ACB Braille Forum and other ACB communication channels not less than 120 days prior to the day of the opening session of each conference and convention. Proposed. Strike the current third sentence and replace with the following. All resolutions submitted to the committee within the aforementioned deadline or that have been accepted after that deadline shall be reported upon with or without committee recommendation unless the resolution is withdrawn by its author or an individual representative of the author designated in writing. If adopted by Law 6, Paragraph B would then read, B, Resolutions Committee. The president, within 60 days after the close of each national conference and convention, shall appoint a chairperson and not less than four additional members as a resolutions committee. Any resolutions to be considered shall be submitted not less than 60 days prior to the record date of each conference and convention. Resolutions submitted after this deadline shall only be accepted if it can be demonstrated that circumstances effectively 
precluded their consideration prior to the deadline. The committee shall communicate this deadline using the ACB Braille Forum and other ACB communication channels not less than 120 days prior to the day of the opening session of each conference and convention. All resolutions submitted to the committee within the aforementioned deadline or that have been accepted after that deadline shall be reported upon with or without committee recommendation unless the resolution is withdrawn by its author or an individual representative of the author designated in writing. If a resolution is adopted by the conference and convention and during this process any conflicting previously adopted resolutions are not rescinded, the most recently adopted resolution on the subject shall take precedence. The committee recommends do pass. That concludes the reading of this report. Thank you so much, uh, Rick Lewis, for the reading of the report. John, at this point in time, I think we will take uh, each uh, amendment one at a time. So let's start with 2022201. If you would like to maybe give a brief synopsis, I know Rick did all the reading, but a brief synopsis of what is actually changing in this amendment, and then we'll open it up uh, for points of order um, requests for information and parliamentary yeah, Dan, I, I, I appreciate that. Okay. Simply put, and, and this applies to the first two amendments that we're going to consider. <laughs> I do want to make it clear uh, to the membership that these amendments basically strike antiquated language about postmarks and, and written, you know, proof of receipt. I guess back in the day they contemplated, uh, that you'd get a return receipt requested on a piece of postal mail. I dare say that the language that we amended here goes back to 1961 or 62. Um, And I also want to say that since these amendments, uh, 2201 and 2202, really involve board's administrative procedures, they were run by the board and have been endorsed by the board. But that's not to say that the membership doesn't have a role here. The membership is a supreme authority of this organization. But if the board's happy with what we did, I'm very much hoping that the membership will be happy and not second guess the board's judgment with regard to these amendments. They really um, just get rid of old requirements and uh, reflect that we're living in the 21st century where we have electronic communications available to us. No time change uh, occurs with the uh, executive committee, it's still five days. We didn't make any amendment to the time change there, but it, it just specifies written electronic communication as opposed to what was specified previously, which I'd have to look. Any method which provides for written receipt. Actually, the language as it exists would, would work, but we felt that we wanted to make it explicit. Uh, now I'm speaking specifically to O one. one Make it explicit that it's going to be written electronic communication. A request for information or a parliamentary procedure request, please raise your hand. Hello. I was wondering how much of our membership has access to electronic devices to, you know, to be able to send in, you know, written requests electronically. And are we excluding people if, you know, by only saying electronic or are we? not 
Well, this uh, this goes to our board of directors, and it is um, all all members of our board of directors uh, do have electronic commit uh, communications and are part of our um, our ACB board list. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other uh, points of information? Excuse me. Request for information, points of order, or parliamentary request. This amendment, please raise your hand. Chris Schumacher. All right. Chris Schumacher, do you wish to speak for this amendment or against? I'll speak for it. Okay. Thank you. Please hold, Chris. Thank you. And what's our next hand? Ray Campbell. Ray Campbell. I wish to speak for it as well. Okay. Ray wishes to speak for. Do we have any other hands raised? All right. At this point in time, I will recognize our first person to speak uh, for the amendment. Thank you, Mr. President. I would say that since the board has heard this amendment and has approved it, that I see no reason that the membership would not. All right. Thank you. And then second, I'll recognize Ray Campbell. Um, I, I just would ask urge the membership to uh, vote for this uh, and put the two thirds required to pass it. Um, um, the board currently, as Dan has stated, and has been true for a number of years, at least all the years I've been on the board, which is 15, uh, everyone has had access to electronic uh, communication. Uh, certainly, Melissa, appreciate the concern, appreciate you bringing it up. Um, and so I believe going forward that that is probably going to continue to be the case. Um, So I think this is definitely well overdue. Um, The thing it also allows us to do is, you know, quickly, quickly get out notices. I mean, these are, these are for meetings that are called in very emergency uh, situations and um, having to follow logic that was very appropriate or, you know, things that were very appropriate back in 1961, which have definitely changed now, I think is definitely something we should not do. So certainly urge you all to pass this and give the board the flexibility we need to uh, conduct our business um, transparently, but in in an expeditious manner for the membership. Thank you. Okay. All right. Okay. Alice. Well, before, before I decide if I'm against this, I need clarification. My understanding is that it says any communications, including electronics. We're not doing away with mailing because I've just heard people who do not use computers be disenfranchised from even thinking about running for the board if you're doing away with other forms besides electronics. So I would say to you, and I say this all the time, not everybody has access and so you're limiting who can run for the board if you say that. So my understanding, though, and I want it clarified, is that it says any of these forms, including electronic. Am I right or wrong in that? Well, actually, no, it says any means of written electronic communication. So uh, and at the risk of providing some pushback here, people who are elected to the board are presumed or should rightfully be presumed to have certain capacities and I think being able to operate in the 21st century with some means of electronic communication, be it email or text, is not an unfair presumption or is not an unfair expectation. Well, then I'm, I'm against this amendment because I disagree with you 
wholeheartedly. Okay, Alice, you have two minutes to speak against. Go ahead. All right. I, I, I'm totally then against this um, because it's not just a matter of the capacities. But again, we may be talking about somebody who's really qualified to be on the board who's newly blind, who doesn't know how to or can't afford even. We've got people who can't afford computers and iPads and these ways to and I'm sorry, but it seems to me like we're 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 trying to disenfranchise a lot of people here lately. And I'm I'm very disappointed. And to do this, you're saying, oh, to be on the board, you must be electronic capable. And I'm here to tell you, I'm an electronic idiot. I have problems even doing what I'm doing now. That doesn't mean I'm not qualified to understand things that happen in the blind community and and wouldn't be a good representative to the board. Not that I'm planning to run, but I'm just saying. So I'm sorry, but if if we're not going to include previous ways of communicating and the only way we're going is electronic, I'm voting against it. Thank you. Greg Hollins. Uh, Dan, I'm, I'm speaking in favor Okay, go ahead, Greg. Um, I'm I want to be very careful here because I keep hearing about people thinking they're getting disenfranchised, and I'm going to have to agree with John a little bit here. If if we're going to um, ask people to serve in certain capacity, just like if you go get a certain job in life. And even though our people aren't paid here, but they are doing jobs and doing great work for this organization, there there has to be some type of expectation of a skill set. Otherwise, we won't get things done that we need to get done or in expedience, like Ray, Ray pointed out. And I don't think it's excluding people, but we should have some expectations of our leaders and people that have certain type of skill sets. Phone number. Hi, this is Debbie Watson from Chicago, and I agree in a lot of ways, you know, with electronics, but I think that uh, the way the previous lady spoke was quite right, that there's a real concern here that people could be left out. If they could include something uh, either by mail or by phone, some way of letting people know the meeting, sometimes maybe add by phone or some other way of communication would be allowed. I think that is important. Thank you. Debbie, would you like to propose that as an amendment? Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I would like to pose that that uh, as a friendly amendment that we add uh, either written or, or phone. I, I'm not good at making an amendment, but I think we should add to the amendment uh, that they receive this communication by, you know, by electronically or by phone, maybe add, or by phone or even written. Uh, but I think I think that's important to include that. So, John, would is that a friendly amendment to add uh, or phone? I'm not opposed to saying telephone notice. I'm trying to. I mean, I'm not opposed to telephone. First of all. Mail is a disaster. You're not going to get the timeliness you need. No, this is true. You're not going to get Mm -hmm. the timeliness you need with mail. I'm not adverse to phone communication. I think we could 
put that in there if that's the okay i would i would go with that if we can't go with mail that's fine but and i see i see the reason especially in an emergency meeting why you wouldn't want to go with mail but by phone i think if you include that as a, a friendly amendment then i'm really for it any written or telephone, or any written electronic or telephone communication. I guess we have to put oh, more telephone. John, yes. this is Deb. I'm really that. concerned with yes. that. Yes. Okay. I, be rec- I okay. would be for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. We're accepting that as a friendly amendment. That maybe would uh, answer Alice's concern from earlier. Most people do have, if they don't have a computer or email, they do have a phone. I am concerned with that as a friendly amendment, and the reason that I am is that if you could use mail, and I agree you can't, or the electronic mail, you have a verification that the person actually received the notice, and if you have a telephone communication, you don't have that verification, and I'm concerned that... um, that you, I think, for this kind of a meeting, this is an executive meeting, which means that it's of high importance that you need to be able to verify that everyone was notified. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent point, Deb. I don't, I, you know, I try, try to be accommodating, but. <laughs> you know, I don't well, know. see, I, I think that I think we're making a really bigger deal of this than it needs to be. I mean, one of the things that ha- would happen, just like anything else in ACB, is that if you were elected to the board and everyone felt you were qualified to be there and you didn't have email, your email went out or something happened to you. And, you you know, we have a lot of material. So this is not just about email one time. This is about actually needing to be able to handle written communications. So if you were using a reader to do email or you had some other arrangement to do email, you know, your email went to someone who, um, you know, read it to you, we would at least have the verification that we sent it. So I, I really don't have too much concern that we wouldn't accommodate someone who didn't have email, but I think would be very, very difficult to serve on our board without being able to have pretty direct access to email. But aside from that, if you had a way for how you were going to deal with that, I I think that we should always be receptive to it. But I'm very concerned that we need the record in this case that the person has been given the notice of this. This is a special meeting. This isn't just sort of communication here and there. Actually, Deb, you know, as a lawyer, there's a reason, I'm reminding myself, there's a reason we had written electronic communication in there. So I'm going to go back on my considering it a friendly amendment. The fact of the matter is that notice is legally consequential. Mm -hmm. And if some people want to write me off as elitist, so be it. But if you presume to run for the board, then you better have some kind of blindness skills, including including the ability to access and read email or text. I'm not even or, saying text. Or a but plan. Email, or a plan for how to do that. So you could or, have or someone backup, work with good, you. Good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah. These this is legally consequential and, and you're you're yeah. the whole idea, it reminded me of why we said uh, written electronic communication, because that's verifiable. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I'm gonna could it be uh, well we've got Deb. So Deb, you're you're now saying you're 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 not accepting that as a friendly amendment, the phone? Well, I'm not, but I'm not on the con on on bylaws. I'm I'm going to withdraw my friendly amendment. If they want to try to see if they can get this through as a friendly as as an amendment on its own, fine. But no, I'm not going to acquiesce in it. I know I said I would, but let me ask. uh, Let me have. I'm persuaded by what Deb has said. Let Let me have Deb come. The other Debbie come back, um, if we can. 
Um, I think Deb Cook-Lewis brought up a good point that you could say yeah. or designee. In other words, um, you know, if if you personally can't respond to email, do you have, you know, a family member or a, a friend or a colleague and your affiliate that could be your designee to receive that information? Okay. Yeah, I would go along with that. Yeah, I, I can see I can see Deb Lewis's point when, and I thought about it because yeah, the, you would want some sort of verification that a person has received that, and I realize that. Maybe if we said such requests shall be sent to each board member or their designee. Yes. Yes. The, uh, yeah. If we put that in, I think that. That kind of gives us the latitude if somebody's it. having trouble with email that they could work with. Yeah, a- before the word via, we would put to each board member or their designee. Yes. Okay. Deb, you that good with that? De- Debbie, you good with that? Somebody yeah. who was on the I'm, board. I'm content. Just- mm-hmm. All okay. Right, that- John, you take that, that as a friendly amendment? Yeah, that, that I'll take. Yeah. Okay. And okay, Deb cool. Cook-Lewis, you had a concern. Are you good with that? Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. Um, you know, yeah. my, my biggest concern, as I said, is the verifiability. Um, and that, that so, has been sent out. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Okay. Regina Marie. Okay. Regina Marie, go ahead. Well, I am going to change. I was going to speak against it with, with that friendly amendment. I would be for it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Regina. And Brash. Yes, uh, I believe that a person could call back and verify that um, they got the message, and that would solve that problem. Yeah, we we've kind of moved on from that, and now we're at a um, the uh, concept or a designee, so it will be in writing and verifiable. Right, but I I don't think that's necessary i think a person could call back and that would solve the problem and we wouldn't have to go on to a designee okay well i think i think we're at we're at this amendment right now unless you wish to propose it as a non-friendly amendment no okay well thank you ann thank thank you for your thoughts charlene or neilis and i need to know from um uh, from uh, Denise, how many minutes do we have left in our debate? Three minutes. Three minutes. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. I'm against the um, a proposed amendment because you may send it to me and I don't have um, direct access to the computer. I use my email and my friend looks it up. There is nothing to, that will verify that I actually saw the email announcing the pro the um, meeting and therefore I could use that as an excuse for not showing up. And there's no way to prove if you have a, a second party delivering the information from the email that the party intended received it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Do we have, I think we have time for one more person to speak. Uh, let's see. We've had a couple of against uh, either one more for uh, at this point in time, I think. Jeannie J. Yes, Jeannie? I was just going to second the amendment when it got to that point. All right. At this point in time, uh, we will be done with debate unless the body would like to uh, have an additional 20 minutes of uh, discussion. 
all these amendments will be a record vote on uh, Wednesday. And for those associated with the Constitution, they will require a two-thirds majority to pass. All those wishing to continue debate on this amendment, please raise your hand at this point in time if you want to continue debate for another 20-minute segment. Okay, at this point in time, please raise your hand if you would like debate to end and not approve another 20-minute segment for debate and move on to the next proposed amendment. So raise your hand if you do not want to continue debate. Okay, please let us know the vote for for and against continuing debate for another 20 minutes. Those in favor of continuing is 13. Those against is 152. All right. Hearing that against is won by a clear majority of the hands raised. Uh, Debate on Amendment 1 has ended. And we will now move on to Amendment uh, 2. Turn it back to John to recap uh, the changes associated with Amendment 2. Okay. This, again, is uh, along the same lines as the other uh, amendment. And it, it this has to do with notice of the special meetings of the board, the entire board. It's not the executive committee of the board. It, again, provides for written electronic communication and shortens the time from seven days from, from well, you can't shorten from seven, from down from 14 to seven days. Now, the proposed language is notice of the special meeting shall be sent to each member of the board via written electronic communication at least seven parens seven days prior to the meeting date. I'm going to presume that we're going to run into the same problem. So I, I will accept instead of members of the board, I will say more board member or their designee. I'd be amenable to that. Okay. Uh, so, so you're, you're accepting. willing to, uh, to yeah, accept I can that, see that friendly, up again. that friendly um, amendment. Yeah. Uh, have that language be the, the same as in the first amendment. And, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Please raise your hand. If you would like to bring a point of order a request for information or a parliamentary procedure request at this point in time related to amendment number two. Janelle Edwards is number one. Okay. Yes. Go ahead, Janelle, I, I have- who's part of the, uh, of the constitution and bylaws committee, by the way. Thank you, Janelle. Okay. Um, yes. My, my point of clarification is just to make sure that we're not getting into any confidentiality issues with this extra person possibly then reading confidential correspondence that should only be going to the board, not knowing exactly what's posted to that list. I'm, I'm just, just seeking clarification. Uh, at this point, it's, I think my understanding, this is just to schedule a meeting. This is not for ongoing communications. This is strictly to schedule a meeting okay. is, is what's when, laid out in this uh, amendment. Okay. When we were talking on the first amendment, I thought the, when, when you were describing, you or John were describing that there can be quite a bit of correspondence that goes to the board list. I didn't know if this person would then have access to all of that. Um, I take Dan's point. It's just, just, it's just about notice, you know, notice of meeting and hopefully not very okay. much would be said about the meeting. Uh, that That's a good point, Janelle. Thanks. But I, I don't think there's an issue there. Thank you. Thank you for your Glad point to- of clarification. <laughs> Glad to hear it. <laughs> uh, very good. What, who uh, do we have? Anyone else with a hand raised, Nancy? 
Elizabeth von Eiderstein. Um, I have a question that might help um, clarify and alleviate um, some of the electronic use concerns. Um, how are these meetings typically held? Because if an individual has um, access issues reading communications about having the meeting electronically, how are they getting to the meeting if it's an electronic meeting that they, if they can't read or have right. access to the emails, how they have access to the meeting in general? Uh, these meetings are typically held in the Zoom platform. Because I know that um, Ray mentioned he's the I could be wrong about this too, but they mentioned that um, they've held this, they were doing meetings in this, they're doing communications this way for about 15 years or so, did you mention, or did I mishear that? So Yes, I mean, in, in previous days, before we had the Zoom platform, I, I can't think of any meetings that have not been held in the Zoom platform during my administration. Uh, right. Previous to that, they were typically held in uh, like freeconferencecall.com or in person. One of those two. Okay. And uh, conference call would have been over the phone? Would have been over the phone. Okay. Yeah, before. So this is why we're kind of, you know, the, the, right. world is, the world is changing. But Zoom platform does allow you to participate either through your computer or your phone. Right. Okay. Um, so then I think it would stand to reason that if you can access email, you can access Zoom. But if you can't access email then it would be difficult to access Zoom if meetings were going to be held more exclusively on Zoom? No, through Zoom, no? you can call in. You can call oh, right, in right, on right. Zoom to, you right, don't right. have to have a computer. Uh, you can call in. But you might have to have email to get email notifications about Zoom, but you can still get into your phone. Okay. Um, yep. That's why we're, okay. that's why we added the clause or their designated representative. Right. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, Please identify yourself. Mitch Pomerantz is 388. Hello, Mitch. And I, hey, Brent, Dan. I think you responded to the question from Janelle, John, but I had the same concern with the previous uh, proposed change. Uh, if, if you allow a designee to review material, uh, or to pass it along to a board member, uh, it, it, it appears as if you have no concern about um, material uh, legal matters or financial issues or the kinds of issues that come up in executive sessions. You're specifically referring then to uh, notification and nothing more nor less. Is that correct? Yeah, I would I would hold it to notification alone, notification of the meeting and my instruction, my suggestion to is ever disseminating well, these notices that they not contain any specifics and ex a very vague uh, schedule the meeting of, of the notice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a special meeting to discuss executive committee matter or uh, financial matters and litigation matters of a delegate nature, et cetera. Yeah. I, think, I think I would keep it as, as clear as just there's uh, again for, for this, I would, to me, I would have it just be, there's a meeting scheduled. Yes. Yeah, if, if you can assure it wouldn't go any further than that, then I don't have a problem, but, 
but I uh, <laughs> I am concerned about uh, folks who aren't supposed to be uh, uh, you know <laughs> see these kinds of uh, in, this kind of information getting getting access to it. But uh, if you're if you're good with it, then so am I. I'm good with it, but just not to beat this to death. But you know, in the prior regime, what about if you got a postal letter? that the blind board members cited spouse were to read, you know, I mean, let's not try to solve every conceivable problem. It's at a certain point, you have to trust that people are going to be sensitive to the legitimate concerns raised and, and take due account of those. I've just, you know, pointed up an example where under the existing regime, you could get a letter, you know, over Dan's signature written in nice print postmarked and all that good stuff which could say something that you really wouldn't want the sighted spouse to read if Dan were not careful enough to make sure that no such thing was included in the written communication. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Uh, What's our next hand, Nancy? Okay, I have a panelist. It's Jeff Bishop. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think at a minimum, uh, I'm here to also uh, express concern about the confidentiality of this. Uh, the, John, I think your point is is somewhat um, well. <clears throat> the difference between an email communication or electronic communication is that can be disseminated much more widely and much more quickly than a letter in the mail could. Uh, I think at a minimum, if there is a designee, then that individual needs to sign a confidentiality agreement, like the board members do. And I don't. And I think if they do not sign that, that they should not be their official designee. And I would like to see that as a friendly amendment, honestly, on both. I'm fine with that. I, uh, how I would incorporate it and how I could disseminate that. It'd be up to me to draft that tonight and get it out. But I'm, I'm fine without. I'm fine with that. I, uh, I think we have to protect ourselves, uh, you know, in this process somehow, because if a designee after the word designee, I could put in parens, uh, who shall have been who shall have signed a confidentiality agreement applicable to board members or something like that. Yeah. I think that would, that would, that would uh, alleviate my concerns. Thank you. Right. And by rights, we should go back and do that to the the one we've already considered because it's, it's germane to both. I I think it's, it's, it's very similar. So I agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm right with that. All right. Any other uh, hands for, uh, Peggy Garrett. Request for information or point of order. Go ahead, Peggy. Yes, my my concerns are pretty much the same as previous people have stated uh, about confidentiality. But I guess I'm a little confused here because if someone decides to serve on the board and and believe me, I'm all about inclusivity. I want everybody to be included. Uh, people who want to serve should have that that right to serve. However, I, I do go back to when people want to serve in certain positions, they should be capable of doing that. I, I believe that if a person has to have hey, Peggy, Peggy, I, Peggy, I'm going to we're not doing debate right now. This is just a, a for a point of order or uh, a, for a request for information. But I'll be happy well, to let you speak uh, on the okay, amendment well, when it's time for that. Well, Dan, I guess my point of information, uh, yes. clarity, the point of clarity for me is why would a person only need a designee when you're sending a specific uh, piece of communication 
But if they're receiving it all of the other time, why would it be just for that? I, I'm I'm confused on that. Because if they if they can't if they need it for specific communication for notifications of meetings, wouldn't they need it all of the time? Well, I think there's two different worlds worlds there. So I, I'll give it my best shot, Peggy. I think this is for specifically. Uh, and we, we, we had a special uh, board meeting here uh, just a couple of months ago. And the way the Constitution uh, it was written, I had to make sure that all board members acknowledged the receipt of that uh, notification. So this is acknowledging the receipt of the notification. Uh, I think just communicating information to board members, there is the opportunity to do that you know, through, through other means. But this this is trying to improve the efficiency of being able to call meetings in a in a at a critical time in a in a uh, judicious manner. So that's the idea here is we we found ourselves a couple of times over the last three years where, where things happened and we needed to meet very quickly. And uh, it was kind of in opposition to our our current constitution, which required written, uh, written postmark notice. So, so this is strictly related to the, the uh, notification for, for, for meetings. Oh, okay. Does that help you? Yeah. I I think if, if there was a board member that needs some more information, I'll be happy to call them on the phone and talk to them about it. Yeah. But this is actually to, to have the, the notification that they need. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Sure. Thank you, Peggy. Gabe Griffith. Okay, Gabe Griffith. Go ahead, Gabe. All right. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to stay on the proper side of the line of, of not making an argument because as others have said, I, I feel very uncomfortable with this amendment. But to try to ease my mind, when you send out these notices of these meetings, is it using the board email list or are you actually sending emails to individuals as an individual email? Well, um, typically I've done them by, I've kind of done it both ways. I've called people if there's a special meeting just to let everybody know. And then I've sent an email for them to confirm in, in writing, um, on, uh, again, on this particular thing. So, um, mm-hmm. as far as ongoing correspondence with board members, uh, you know, we have had instances where people's emails are down or whatever, and we need to keep, you know, we need to stay in contact with them. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. very often, but somebody's computer goes down or they, they lose e- inter, uh, email access for a period of time. So I have had to reach out and just keep people up to date. But right. typically, the reality is at least. Um, while I've been on the board for the most part since you know 2012, uh, our board members have had email access. Well, and, and yeah, not the board members having email access isn't my concern. My concern is more if the announcement is sent to an, a board email list and a designee has to therefore be on that email list, then that designee would have access to all board communications I, I, and we, 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 we would not put the that. designee on the board email list. No. Okay. Okay. That, that was my big concern. Thank you, sir. Yep. Okay. Next is Amanda Selm. Hello, Amanda. 
Hi, um, Mr. President and Mr. Chair. I'm kind of confused a little bit. I just want to clarify. I need a point of clarification, maybe a point of order. I just want to clarify because um, I feel like we're bouncing back and forth between um, Amendment 1 and 2. Um, and Amendment 2 is, you know, just simply changing from 14 to 7 days, correct? And I feel like we're bouncing back to Amendment 1. Well, there's the same language, Amanda, is in one and two about okay. uh, electronic okay. written uh, communication notice for notice. So that's why we're going back and forth. There's a second change in Amendment 2, which shortens the number of days to call a special board meeting from 14 to 7. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I really appreciate it. I was just a little confused. Yeah. So we're trying to be consistent between the two. So it's the same language for notification, whether it's the executive committee or the special board meeting. Okay. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Casey Dutmer. (laughs) Go ahead, Uh, Casey. I I, I support the amendment, but I, I have a concern to raise about the discussion that's occurring. And at times, it feels like you are uh, okay. Uh, if, if you're, are you asking a point of clarification or a point, uh, mm-hmm. a request for I, information? Uh, well, I'm, it's, it's a request of, uh, well, uh, I guess clarification and information. Um, so in some ways, the discussion has kind of made it feel like you're limiting or you're going to mess up requirements for. Uh, someone, what they have to be to. Uh, I I need to hear a question there, Casey. I'm I'm hearing statements, not questions. Okay, so how do you how do you with this amendment and then this discussion uh, encourage members that you are supporting or encouraging all members who, who who would like to learn or try or be a part of to be to be leaders because the way this discussion is going, I can see where some people would be discouraged because they feel like they wouldn't have the talent. So how would you as president address this as it's going on in this discussion? Okay. I think that's not germane to this amendment. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you, Casey. Two minutes, 56 seconds. There are no hands up. All right. We only we have not started debate yet, and we have expired all of our time except for two minutes. So I think uh, at this point, until who wants to speak for and against this, and then we'll see if there's uh, if the membership would like to allow twenty more minutes for debate. So, or against this amendment, please raise your hand. I have Greg Collins. Greg, would you like to speak for or against? For. Four. Thank you, Greg. Uh, Terry right. Terlou. Terry. I would like to speak four, please. Okay. Terry, we have two fours. Denise okay. Colley. Denise Colley. Four. Four. Denise Colley would like to speak four. All right. Let's keep going. Karen Campbell. Karen Campbell. Uh, speaking against. Karen Campbell would like to speak against. Okay. Betsy Grenovich. Betsy Grenovich. Betsy Grenovich would like to speak against. Okay. Betsy's against. So we have three fours and two against. Go ahead. Ann Brash. Ann Brash. I'd I'd like to uh, speak against, but um, hopefully I could uh, have a friendly amendment or something. Okay. Ann Brash would like to speak against. Okay. DJ Doug. DJ Doug. 
I'd like to speak for. Okay, DJ would like to speak for. That's four of fours and three against. Who's next, uh, Nancy? Charlene or Neelis or Neelis. Charlene, would you like to speak for or against? Against. Okay, we have four Thank fours you. and four against. Do we have anyone else? We do not, Mr. President. Okay, who would like to speak for and four that would like to speak against? At this point in time, we have to uh, have um, a decision on whether we will extend debate for our standing rules for an additional 20 minutes to let our speakers speak. So are all that would like to extend debate for an additional 20 minutes, please raise your hand now. If you'd like to extend debate for 20 minutes, please raise your hand for our stand. For if you would like to vote against extending debate for an additional 20 minutes per our standing rules, please raise your hand now. This is a vote against extending debate. All right. So our supervisor of elections, Nancy Marks Becker, what is the result of our vote? In favor of extending, 64 against 80. Okay, so debate has ended on this particular uh, amendment. Again, it will be on the ballot on Wednesday, July 13th, and requires a two-thirds majority to pass. All right. All right, John, let's move on to yes. amendment, constitutional amendment number three. This is the one that might be controversial. This chestnut has been seen before in both 2015 and 2018, I believe, by this organization. Uh, Jeff brought it to the committee, and again, the committee recommends do pass. In a nutshell, and let me break this down for you, it would, right now you can have two officers from one state, but only one director. This would um, alter the situation so that the aggregate of officers and directors from any one state could not exceed three, but instead of the two and one officers to directors that you have now, you could have the flip scenario of one officer and two directors. Let me tell you what you cannot have. Three officers, not happening. Three directors, not happening. But, um, and, and here's, here's the case. Let's assume you had two officers and one director, as you can have now. If somebody were to run for a directorship position from the same state as the, the three people, let's say two officers and one director being from state A and another person from state A tries to run, that would not be permitted because that would breach the aggregate of three requirements. So we are taking out the last sentence of paragraphs A and B that basically say no more than two officers, no more than one director, and replacing it with the following, which seems awkward, but it achieves the desired result. I mean, assuming you desire it. No more than three parens three persons from the aggregate of officers and directors shall be elected from any one parens one state, nor shall more than two officers, parens two parens officers, nor them two parens two directors be elected from any one state. And again, the committee recommends do pass. All right. At this point in time, please raise your hand for a point of order. A um, <clears throat> a uh, request for information or a parliamentary procedure request. Okay, I have a couple. Marlena Vanderwall. All right, Marlena. Hi, hi. This is Marlena. Mm -hmm. Um, since 
since this was mentioned a few minutes ago that this was brought up in 2015 and 2018, didn't we have the reverse before? And wasn't why isn't that why it was changed to what it is currently? Mm-mm. No, there's been no change. The, um, the this language goes back to 1962, and at the risk of editorializing, um, there may have been a concern at that time uh, of making maximally sure that there would be broad representation. Hence, the one director per state rule. Um, okay, I, I guess I, I I thought it came up. Um, a few years ago, so my apologies. That's why I no, no, it, it did come. It did come up, and nothing was changed. So okay, it was, thank it you. was defeated. Maybe it, third it requires two thirds majority, and I think it got like sixty five percent of the vote. So it yeah, did it not. It, it, it was close, but it did not uh, exceed the two thirds. Okay, thank you. That required. answers my question. Sure. Um, I would. Uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to this in any way, but uh, I'm curious. Are, are as you going to ask a question? Okay. Yes. I'm just okay. Um, please. I'm, okay. Yeah, yeah. I am. I'm, I, I'm not sure why the committee brought it up at this point, and what they see is the advantage to making the change. Thank you. Well, um, speaking to it from the standpoint of the committee chairman, um, <laughs> I think there are people who think that the language goes back to 1962, and that. We're living in a different, first of all, understand that you're still in a situation where you can only have three people from any one state uh, on the board. Uh, Well, let's forget about the immediate past president, but from the elected positions, you can only have three. We're not suggesting that you can allow a second director to come on where you already have one director and two officers from the same state. I think Certain individuals on the committee and in the membership generally feel that it's an artificial constraint on our organization's ability to avail itself of the talents of people who are ready and willing to offer their talents. Um, People may disagree with that, but the thinking of the people who support this is that it's an unnecessary constraint on our ability to um, get talented people to serve. Yes, uh, I I would concur, John. I mean, to the point of even this year, uh, at, through the candidates, uh, you know, the initial candidates' pages, we only had uh, with one withdrawal, we only had three people who applied for five board positions, and so again, you're you're limiting a lot of people who uh, are qualified but cannot run because of this rule. Okay, Sharon. Thanks for the question. Uh, all right. Do we have other questions? Cecily Laney Nipper. Okay. Cecily. Yes. It is a point of clarification or perhaps a question in any mm-hmm. case. How does this impact the Board of Publications numbers and their states of origin, if at all? It doesn't. We decided not to address that. I think there's less concern about um it's a smaller board, uh, and we're, we've, we're not taking that up at this time. Thank you. Thank you, Cecily. Uh, any other points of order or? Frank Welty. <laughs> Go ahead, Frank. Uh, yes, two very quick questions. The first one, I believe that, uh, am I correct that under the current regime, the minimum number of states that can be represented on the board at any one time is nine, and that under the new language, the minimum number would drop down to five. And the second question is, is the D.C. 
am I correct that the DC is this district of Columbia is treated as a state for purposes of this amendment or district of Columbia of is treated district language. of Columbia is treated as a state and, and we have not changed that that's um you know that the article current article C2 which which would be renumbered if we insert C1 and I, I, I don't know that I can do the math quickly enough, the minimum number of, I don't know how you figure that. You might be right, but um, three I, people, I, don't, I don't see three, that being Three people per state for five, uh, for, five, for, uh, for five states makes 15 people. Yeah, mathematically, I suppose that, that um, <laughs> mathematically, that, that could be the case. Um, but let's assume you had two, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that's correct. If you had two directors from five states, each of which also had an officer, uh, that could be the case, but that would be, I mean, what's yeah, the likely, mathematically, mathematically that, versus that, that could, could that, that ever happen? Assuming there are contested positions. All right. Thank you, Frank. Um, and we answered district of Columbia does count as a state in, in yeah. this particular case. Yes. Yeah. That's specified that we didn't change that language at all, but the, the, the reference would be renumbered because of the insertion of C1 if this passes. All right. Any other points of uh, information? Of, Juan or order? Win. Juan? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry. Um, I wasn't quite clear. I did not hear the debate in the previous uh, constitutional amendment. I know that we'd have a discussion, but we don't hear any debate. We did not hear any debate because it would have required us uh, asking oh, for another right, tw- 20 minutes, and we voted not to extend the discussion. Okay, at that time, I probably stepped out. I did not hear the whole thing. Okay, sorry okay. about that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Jeanette Kutash. Jeanette? Okay, I, I'm new enough to this that I just want to make sure I understand this. So the way it is now... We could only we could have two officers and one director. And you're saying that with this new language, we wouldn't gain any more people, but we could have two directors and one officer. One hundred percent correct. OK. All right. Next. No, Thank 100% you. Percent correct. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Next person. Gene Mann. Go ahead, Gene. I, I just want to point out that. When I was on this board, it was one director and one officer from each from one you know from a state, and I I was going to vote against this because I forgot I don't know when it got changed to two officers, and and one director and it's it's kind of interesting because you know there's like five officers and ten directors yet we can have two officers from one state, so I don't I don't know when it got changed to that, but I just wanted to make that comment that this is not 1962 language that that we're looking at. It was changed somewhere along the way. All right, thanks for that, Gene. I didn't. I didn't know that. I thought oh. it was going back to. No, it was one director in one state, at, or one director and one officer for a long time. Okay. Thank you, Gene. Norma Bulgi. I have a question for Mr. McCann. I'm here. Um, can I assume that our Constitution and especially this part that we're discussing is um, we have no uh, constraints on uh, whether or not like a husband and wife could assume these roles. We're not addressing that right now. There is no constitutional language that would forbid that. Okay. That's all I needed to know. Thank you, sir. Go ahead, Elizabeth. 
Um, how, I guess I'm a little bit confused too. I haven't been around to long enough to know the difference between officers and directors. So I'm not quite sure how this, what exactly does this do to improve um, leadership or the, the board itself or like maybe why has it been done before? <laughs> I could only harken back to the point that Dan made that uh, as of the time when the time had expired for people to submit candidate states to the BLP for dissemination, we had four people, only four people had, had come forward when there were five slots and one of the persons withdrew. Uh, now we wound up getting three people to compete for those last two slots. And none of those people were barred uh, courtesy of the uh, restriction to one director per state. But, but what if they had been? Uh, and, you know, there was, uh, I don't know, I, I think it's an artificial constraint and it needs to go. <laughs> okay. Does it, does it allow for more participation for more? Um, I, think it, I think it allows for us to get people based on talent rather than an artificial um, bar due to their geographical happenstance. <laughs> The, the other thing I'll point out in it, that is that we're in a very transitory situation. So we've had a couple of situations where board members have moved to different states, which then allowed them to maybe not run the next time because we had two board members from the same state. So it's it's interesting that in, in today's day and age, you know, geography is – it changes uh, all the time for folks. Yeah. We're very transitory. That's a good point, Dan. That's a good yeah. point. Had I stayed a director – um, well, no, that wouldn't actually play it out because Jeff and I were from Tucson at one point. <laughs> he yeah. moved and I was an officer. So even if he stayed here in the state, he wasn't barred. He he got on the board in 2016. What's I the difference heard. between an officer and a director? What's the officers <laughs> are president, first and second vice president, secretary and treasurer. And then okay. the directors are 10 positions that are on the uh, that are are on the board. And of those 10, you can have so many from one state. So you don't have like a state right, majority. Right now, you can only members. have one from a state. And now you want two. The ability to have two. The ability to have two. Okay. Keep in mind, that could only happen if you had one officer. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, next question. Am Coffee. Yes, this is uh, strictly a point of curiosity, and had I not been spending all this time listening intently, I would have looked it up myself. But um, I think this is the amendment where one of the changes was to insert something called an Oxford comma. What is an Oxford comma? All right, let me break that down pretty simply. It says... In the original language, it says a secretary and a treasurer. When you have successive enumerations, a president, comma, a first vice president, comma, second vice president, comma, a secretary and a treasurer, that's the older form. You would just put a comma after secretary, even though the last one is it preceded by an and. It's okay. modernizing the grammar a bit. Thank you so much, Pam. Okay. Uh, Denise, how much time do we have left? You have six minutes and 51 seconds. Okay. All right. Do we have any other questions? No other questions. No other questions. Okay. At this point in time, I'll ask P. 
people that would like to speak either for or against uh, amendment number three, constitutional amendment number three. If you'd like to speak for or against. That's, That's Mitch. Mitch. Mitch, would you like to speak for or Mitch against? Mitch Pomerantz, I would like to speak in the strongest possible opposition to this proposal. Okay. Thank you, Mitch. Uh, do we have uh, – who's our next person? Just one moment here. Second is Ray Campbell. I would like to speak in the strongest possible terms for this amendment. Okay, raise four. Okay, Mitch is against. Who's next? Next is Denise Colley. I'd like to speak for. All right, thank you. Denise would like to speak for. Frank Welty. I speak against. Frank would like to speak against. That's two and two. Okay, let's keep going. Greg Wansnyder. I would like to speak for this amendment. Yep. Thank you, Greg. Okay, four. That's three fours and two against. Alan Peterson. Alan Peterson. Uh, I would like to speak against. Alan would like to speak against. It's three and three. Nancy, keep going. Hey, Regina Marie. Regina Marie. I would like to strongly speak against. Okay, Regina would like to speak against. That's four against and three fours. Okay, go ahead. Terry Pacheco. Terry Pacheco. I would like to speak even stronger than the gentleman against. Okay, so we have five against. We now need two more fours. So if you're against, please raise your hand, lower your hands. And we need two more people who would like to speak for this amendment. This is Deb Cook-Lewis. I'd like to speak for it. Okay, Deb Cook-Lewis would like to speak for Okay, and then we had Norma Bogey. Norma, would, would you like to speak in favor of this proposal? All right, we have our five folks for and against. How much time do we have left, left Denise? Four minutes and 19 seconds. Okay, let's get started with our first two, and then we'll move forward when we have to, when our time expires. So, Ray, if you could speak for and then Mitch against. Sure. Thank you, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, this is nothing more than common sense. We must vote for this amendment. When the candidates' pages came out from the Board of Publications, we had four candidates running for five board positions. One of them chose to withdraw. That means we had three candidates running for five positions. So, We had to do a bunch of recruiting just to find a couple of people who would run. If we had had this proposal in place, perhaps there would have been others who would have been able to step forward. Second of all, I've heard a lot of talk tonight about wanting to get new talent on this board. This is a way to do that. So if you're serious about getting new talent on this board, you're going to vote for this. Thirdly, Let me do just a little math for you. And uh, if my fried brain can do this, I will. Right now, you can have three people from any one state on the board. Two officers, one director. If you vote for this, which I strongly urge you to do, you will still have three people from your state. But it could be two officers, one director, one officer, two directors. I don't want to hear any of this stuff about how the smaller affiliates are getting shut out. 
because you're not, because you can't have more than three for any one state. I strongly, strongly urge you to finally, finally get this over the top, vote for it, and let's put more talent and make room for more good talent on the board of directors of the American Council of the Blind. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. And now we'll hear from Mitch. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't often disagree with Mr. Campbell, but I will begin by proposing there are three good reasons to oppose this res- this bylaw, or excuse me, this change in the Constitution. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that we have an up-and-coming pool of persons who are have already expressed interest in running for board positions, our J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows. The reality is that we don't need to potentially limit the numbers on the board and actually being generous, we're talking about possibly six states. Now, I'll go behind the scenes. When I was ACB president, and I was concerned about not having sufficient candidates, what did Mitch Pomerantz do? I did a little recruiting. I said, I think you would be a perfectly fine board member. And I really believe you should throw your hat in the ring. There is nothing wrong with that. The reality, again, is we don't need this change. There are many, many persons, I've heard many of them during the convention, who I think would make excellent board candidates. We do not, as a propose uh, an allegedly democratic organization to put ourselves in the position where potentially we would only have, and I'll be generous, not five, but six states represented. Do you want that? That doesn't sound like the American Council of the Blind that I joined back in 1984. We don't need this. We defeated it. In 2015, we defeated it in 2018. There is plenty of talent out there. They need to be encouraged. They need to be mentored. And we don't need to say, well, we can have three persons from a particular state or four or whatever it turns out to be. This is a bad idea. It's been voted down twice. I beg you, vote it down a third Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mitch. At this point in time, our time for debate has expired. We still have four people that would like to speak for and against. But per our standing rules, we now need to lower all hands and take a vote to continue debate. So hearing that all hands are lowered, if you would like to continue debate on Amendment 3 for an additional 20 minutes. I'd like minutes, to continue debate. Hold on, we're, we're, we're going to have you raise your hand if you would like to continue debate. So if you'd like to continue debate, please raise your hand for an additional 20 minutes. 
All right. Thank you. At this point in time, raise your hand if you would like to if you would like to vote against continuing debate. In other words, in debate on this amendment. So please raise your hand if you're against continuing for another 20 minutes to debate uh, amendment number three. All right. Uh, Madam Supervisor of Elections, could you please give us the results of the vote to continue debate on amendment three? Okay. The vote for extending the debate is 79 for for against extending the debate is 78. So 79 for 78, 78 against. All right. We will therefore extend debate for an additional 20 minutes. And who was our second person to speak for this uh, amendment? Denise Colley. Denise Colley, you have the floor for two minutes. Thank you, Mr. President. I want to speak from personal experience because I was one of the people that got caught in this situation. I was representing Washington State on the board. And midway into my term, Jeff Bishop moved, relocated from Arizona to Washington. He was able to serve on the board for the remainder of the first year because that's what our constitution allows. But as of the next year, one or the other of us would have had to either run for an office or officer position or leave the board. I felt extremely strongly that Jeff had skills and abilities to bring to the board that were needed. And he had skills and abilities that I did not possess. So therefore, I had to make the decision, do I stay on the board and run for an office officer position or do I remove myself from the board? I didn't necessarily want to be an officer. That was not really my my desire. But the only way at that point I was able to remain on the board was to run for an officer position. I would strongly, strongly urge you to vote in favor of this constitutional amendment. All we're saying is you can choose to have two officers or two board members. The resolution is not telling or the amendment isn't telling you what you have to do. And I would strongly urge you to vote in favor. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Denise. Who's our second person to speak against? Frank Welty. All right, go ahead, Frank. We had a real scare in terms of democracy on January 6, 2021. It taught us a number of things. One thing it taught us was that we have to be very serious about checks and balances. A second thing it taught us is that we shouldn't discount unlikely scenarios. Uh, This amendment would remove some important checks and balances to our democracy. And so that's why I oppose it. But also it raises some scary scenarios. One scenario is a situation where where representatives from five states take over the organization. For example, you could have a situation where we have a president from Florida, a married couple from Florida on the board, a vice president from uh, Washington, uh, a couple of folks from Washington on the board, and say a uh, a uh, an, an officer from say Virginia and a couple of other folks from Virginia, and now you have three states with a majority on the board. Uh, another scenario 
is that you could even have a situation where a small group of people from three adjacent states, let's say Virginia, Maryland, and uh, and District of Columbia, living within 10 miles each other, of each other, a group of perhaps um, professionals in business and government in the D.C. area become very close, get very involved in ACB, and then work together to get themselves elected to a majority on the board. This could very conceivably happen. While this goes on, people from a lot of other states don't have room for positions on the board. Would we, If we had um, two people from every state uh, on our board, or two, two people per state on our board, would we have room for great people like Connie Sims from, from South Dakota? Probably not. Think hard about that before you make this change. I agree with Mitch Pomerantz. We have a wide pool of talent and even a wider pool of talent coming up behind us. This is not the time to limit the number of states that are represented in our organization. Vote no on this amendment. Greg Wansnyder. Go ahead, Greg. Um, I'm going to remove myself from the queue. I've actually uh, chosen to uh, vote against this. Thank you. All right. So you want the next four then? Uh, yes, the next four, and then we'll have an opportunity to re- replace that with one additional person voting, speaking okay. for it. So Deb go ahead. Cook-Lewis. Deb Cook-Lewis. Go ahead, Deb. So I would like to start out by first agreeing with something that Mitch said, which is, in fact, that we have a lot of talent coming up in the organization, and I'm excited that, that um, they are beginning to come onto the board and we'll continue to do so and will lead this organization into the future. However, when the board votes, it votes as a whole board. It doesn't vote as the officers and the board members. Uh, the officers have specific duties. Someone asked about that, and they're the obvious duties of the offices. But essentially, when we vote, we vote as as a board, as the officers and board together. So there are the same number of votes. So whether the three votes come in any combination of those people, um, it really doesn't matter in terms of voting. The second thing I'd like to point out is that the whole picture of our organization is changing. It uh, started out as being very, very specific state affiliates, um, and that that was the primary way the organization operated was at the state level. But our special interest affiliates are growing. In fact, in most cases, are growing faster than our state affiliates. And so, because of that, the state boundaries are probably less important to the, the organization, except for in the local affiliates where they may be working on localized legislation. But we have a, an increasing number of members at large and an increasing number of members who are members of special interest affiliates who are not members of any state affiliate. And I think that's going to continue to be the case over time. So I would encourage that for flexibility, I don't think it's necessarily for recruitment, although some people have suggested it is. But I think for flexibility of who serves, and because the organization is very fluid in where it lives, right now I can move less than a mile, and I can be in another state and start, you know, change the whole process. So I don't think it's as much about where people live right now as much as um, what their engagement is with the organization and how they serve. I totally agree that no state should be able to take anything over, but three 
three people, whether it's two officers, who most people think would have more influence than board members anyway, or whether it's two board members, we're not increasing the number, we're not encouraging that all three could be any one thing. Um, So I actually think that this is a move forward for this organization, and I strongly support this amendment. Thank you, Deb. Uh, All right, next is Alan, our next person to speak. Against? Yes. Okay. Yes. Alan Peterson, my friend from North Dakota. Okay. Yes. Well, I I I would <coughs> strongly urge the members to vote no on this because I think uh, geographic re- representation on the board is very important, and I think I agree with uh, Frank that democracy. Uh, you know, to have a diverse board geographically is important for. Our democratic, uh, you know, our our democracy in ACB, and uh, I would strongly urge you to vote no on this on this amendment. I feel, you know, uh, in, in uh, the board itself, the board of directors represents the people. I think, and the officers uh, represent the. Uh, uh, you know the, the administration of the of the organization. So I, I think the the board of directors speak for the the members of the organization. So that's that's my point. Thank you, Alan. All right, who's our next person to speak for? Norma Bogey. Norma, I would like to um, make a couple points. First of all, um, our voting for officers and board members has turned to a new phase in our organization. Uh, For years and years, the only people that could vote were people that were actually at the convention location. That is different now. We have many more voters engaged and I trust them as I trust myself to make the right decision as to whom we're going to place as officers and board directors. And we, we take it into account their qualities, their experience, and not so much their geography. Thank you. Thank you, Norma. Who's our next person against? Yes, thank you. I am strongly, strongly opposed to this for the reasons of democracy. And the minimizing of geographic concerns is really um, disturbing to me because geography matters. And what one concentrates on when it's not about skills and talent because we have a lot of talent from different geographical areas. But what we are actually concerned about is that there would be people with similar concerns or similar aspirations in just a few states that might be able to take over our board. And that is not... Uh, the way this organization was formed. And I think we don't need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Everything that was done in the 1960s was not a bad idea and does not need to be updated. I think that it was wise and I think it was a check and a balance on power. And we may have people that don't concern themselves with power right now in this organization, but historically that can change in an organization. It can start out one way and end up another way. So I'm urging everyone to vote this down again, as has been done twice before. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, we have an opportunity for one more person to speak for the amendment. If anybody would like to raise their hand to speak for Jeff Bishop, would you like to speak for? I would. Okay. So Jeff, you'll be our last person to speak for, and then we have one more against. So go ahead, Jeff. Thank you, Mr. President. I rise and ask that everyone vote for this amendment to the constitution. I, I understand concerns about geography, but I also have concern about power of the officer corps. You could have three states which comprise the entire officer corps of this organization. And my friends in this organization, that's a very, very powerful position to have. Uh, to be able to, to have a mix and match of two to one or one to two does not change the characteristics that are in our constitution today. And I would argue that it actually balances out the balance of power between the officer corps and the board of directors themselves. If you had the, the treasurer, first and second vice president, and the president and secretary from three different states, it would be very difficult to get anything done in this organization from the standpoint of power. And for that reason alone, I think we ought to consider this. As far as talent, absolutely. I would love to see 20 to 30 people run in this organization and let, let them run on their merits and be able to run on what their beliefs are. That would be a very, very wonderful thing to see. I would love to see that happen and it would take all week in, in, in our business of our organization. So again, I would urge all of you to very much consider this Think about what what the future of our organization is and and what it might mean in reference to power, both from the officer corps as well as the board of directors. Thank you, Dan. All right. And we have one last person to speak against. Terry Pacheco. Go ahead, Terry. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I rise against this amendment today for a number of reasons that contradict um, some of the things that have been said in the past, most of all, um, the issue of us having very few people to take those positions. And as Ray said, that we had to go out and scout for people to fill those positions this year. That really was not the case. The case was a very different situation than that altogether. I don't want to take the time to get into it right now. But we did have, we had every, we, as we knew in the end, we had six people running for five positions, all of whom I think were good candidates, including, you know, uh, De Cecily. Um, I think that that's, that's absolutely not a part of this. It shouldn't be a part of this. I think another point that needs to be made is when this organization was first founded, if anyone goes back and looks at the original constitution, uh, the board of directors is, is made up of, the board is made up of the officers and the board was the original intent. And it was only one person from each state at that time, whether it was an officer or a board member. We have since then incre increased it. And this changes that that complexion yet again and i just think that that's a slippery slope for us to be looking at in the future for many many years we only had 
one uh, one person from each state. Then we had one officer and one member of the board of directors. Now we've since then increased it. When is the next time it's going to want to be increased? Someone's going to want to increase it again. That's just it, we don't have a good reason for increasing it, and we have a great deal of talent. We all agree we have a great deal of talent coming up behind us that is going to be gaining more and more experience to take this organization on and take it to the places that we've all worked so hard for and have dreamed of. And I think that the best way for them to be able to take on the responsibilities will be in the future with the positions of the board and the officers staying exactly the way they are. Thank you, Terry. At this point in time, our period for debate has expired. We have the opportunity to have an additional 20 minutes of debate if the membership so desires. So, Edbert, if you would like yet an additional 20 minutes of debate, please raise your hand now. If you'd like an additional 20 minutes of debate per our standing rules, please raise your hand now. All right. Now, at this time, if you would like to vote against extending debate per our standing rules for another 20 minutes, please raise your hand if you'd like to vote against extending debate for another 20 minutes. All right. At this point in time, what is our vote to extend debate for another 20 minutes per our standing rules? Okay. Those for extending the debate is four. Those against extending the, de- the debate is 160. Okay. I believe we've talked about this enough, according to our membership. So thank you so much. And then I think um, we'll move on to our one bylaw amendment, uh, which is number four. And um, I'm going to ask maybe uh, Janelle uh, Edwards, because Ray, you said you wish to speak on this. Uh, I do, and I'm up. I'm up on the panel also now. So okay. So let's let's see if uh, Janelle Edwards could raise her hand and perhaps be our committee representative. Well, I'm I'm not prepared to do this as eloquently as John would have, but basically encouraging. Well, basically requiring people to get resolutions in earlier than we traditionally have. <clears throat> um. Just as has happened this year that so many people, including me, have thought if we just reviewed resolutions more in advance and everything, we could understand them better, ask questions in advance of convention, all these kind of things. And also, I would think make it easier for the resolutions committee not to do everything at the last minute, but basically by except for extenuating circumstances, requiring them to be submitted earlier, then everyone would have a chance to understand them. The resolutions committee would have a chance to to wordsmith them as necessary. And still, it will have the exception that if there's an extenuating circumstance, something comes up at the last minute, that an exception could be made. And this also in the Braille Forum, the announcement would come out earlier so that people would be reminded of this and could get their res- resolutions in early. So, the Constitution and Bylaws Committee did recommend a, a due pass for the reasons I've stated. 
Thank you, Janelle. All right. If you would like to uh, bring up a point of order, a request for information or a parliamentary procedure request, please raise your hand now. Doug Powell has his hand up. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead, Doug. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the wording uh, uh, is, is baffling to me about the 60 days prior to the record date for the convention. If I remember correctly, the record date is 30 days before the convention starts and, and has no relevance to this, partic- to this bylaw other than as a, as a, a waypoint. And therefore, I would just say 60 days prior to the opening or 90 days prior to the opening of the convention. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if it matters one way or the other, Doug. I mean, it's uh, well, I think it's, I, I think it's, it's open to confusion. If people see that 60 days, then they're going to wait for 60 days before the convention and, and they're going to be late. Yeah. OK, um, I, I would I would personally consider that as as friendly i'm i'm not certain but perhaps ray could or someone could address that why because wasn't it wasn't wasn't there the resolutions task force that was (laughs) that actually wrote this up as to why they preferred that language john mr mccann's back no no, i'm sorry was i i thought ray was involved in that task force he was ray was involved in that task force and Uh, we were just letting you know uh, that that john's now now i'm going to i'm going to i will be speaking to this but i if it's if it's okay with you mr president i'd like to respond to that point okay Um, we did we originally in our uh, version of this document that we submitted to the constitution and bylaws committee we had actually said uh, 60 days prior to the opening session, to the day of the opening session of the convention, the uh, committee uh, chose to uh, no, make it 60 uh, days prior to the record date of the uh, convention, which um, I personally I had no problem with. Um, uh, however, I could go either way. I, I, I could go either way on it. I think uh, I think Doug makes a good point. Um, but, is you know, there either, language later on in the in the um, amendment that that does reference the start of the convention? Yes, there is. It's um, yeah, so it's kind of. I do agree with Doug that there's kind of two different uh, points which could be yeah. confusing. Mm-hmm. So sure. would, would you, would you, John and, and and team, would you all see that as a friendly amendment to say? Well, okay. What I, I think I see so the the point that the, the point of a uh, point of. Uh, clarification was that we kind of reference uh, times twice. Once is related to the start of the convention. The other is related to the uh, record date. So I guess the question was, um, would that be, is that a little bit confusing and could both be tied to the start of the convention? And I'll even undermine maybe the committee a little bit. I hope it won't be regarded as such, but I think we overcorrect this year, the date, the date, the record date was May 22nd. So if you mm-hmm. code 60 days before that, you're having a deadline of March 22nd, March 23rd. I think that overcorrects. So if we were to say the starting date of the convention and put 60 days before that, that puts it near the end of April. And I think that's reasonable. So I would accept such as a friendly amendment, because I think to push it to March is getting a little ridiculous. And yet I stand behind or I stand four square in need of 
there to be a door that shuts on amendment on resolutions in particular so that they can be considered and dis- and disseminated and in- invite a more robust debate before we try to squeeze it in on the uh, days of convention. Okay, so so you're accepting as a friendly amendment instead of 60 days before the um, start of convention, date of record, it would be 60 days before the yeah. start of convention. Okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think that's good. I like that, frankly. Okay. All right. Doug, does that answer your question? You're good? It's cool with me. Thank you. All right. And very good. Even, even, so, even I understand, so I understand that there's a concern about the start of the convention these days because we started early, way early this year um, for particular reasons. If you wanted to make it 90 days before the opening session of the, you know, before the opening session of the convention, um, uh, the July, you know, the July opening, yeah, uh, opening of the hybrid, I guess I, I would say. I, I, I and think if you're, we're, if you're I think we're me, good just to keep it as when we if actually you'll indulge open. me for a yeah. second. Yeah. Next year, it's going to be June 29. I mean, unless we go, that's when the, the, the non-hybrid, the, the, the hybrid part starts. The original date was May 1st, but then, God bless him, Matt Selm came in with a, a, with a recommendation that we make it a referential, R-E-F-E-R, referential date, not a date certain on the calendar. And that led to a big debate. But I, I think, assuming we start, let's say, June 23rd, pick a date, June 22nd, this would bring us forward to April 22nd, which, is, which gives the committee nine more days or so other than the, the May 1st that was contemplated. Let's start with 60. And if we find out that that's not enough, we can always expand it going forward. Let's try 60. Okay. So we're good with that as a friendly amendment. Yes. Thank you, Doug. Okay. I'm cool. Thank you. All right. Next person for a point of order or um, request for information. Chuck Jones. Go ahead, Chuck. Okay. Did we actually vote on the Third Amendment? I know we voted to close the debate on it, but I didn't oh, hear. We don't vote on amendments. They're all record votes. Oh. So they will be voted on on <laughs> July 13th uh, with vote oh. now and with an affiliate roll call. Yes. Uh, okay. I misunderstood. I apologize for that. Okay. No problem, Chuck. Thank all you. Right, thanks. Uh, you're welcome. Greg Juan Snyder. Hello. Um, thank you, Mr. President um, and Mr. Chair. I'm concerned about the timing then of and transparency of uh, resolutions. Greg, do you have a question? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, my, my question is, how would this defect affect the timing and transparency of resolutions committee meetings? Oh, uh, well, I concur with Ray. Um, I, look, I think, and boy, if this convention has not been instructive, mac- hugely instructive on the need to move a lot of these points of clarification and debate and engagement off the, the, off the convention calendar and into scheduled Zoom meetings, I don't know what would be sufficient to make the point. I think there has to come a time when the committee is not being in receipt or having to receive additional resolutions. It can wordsmith the ones that it has and have more public meetings to get these resolutions out there and to have this robust debate occur in, uh, in designated meetings, as opposed to this marathon that's now gone on for what, two days, Thursday and Monday. And we have, things tomorrow. I mean, 
Um, I don't want to go on at length, but I, I think I've made my point. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Greg. Uh, next person with a point of order or a request for information. Casey Detmer. Go ahead, Casey. Would it be reasonable to remove the term extenuating circumstances? Because that can be a little muddy, like it kind of was with our affiliate, because we had no control over the timeline of the response, if we were going to get a response. And the res- the topic that we submitted a resolution has been fought out by both NFP and our affiliate. So I don't have a problem with the 60 days, but I do have a problem with the term extenuating circumstances and who decides it and, you know, all that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, John, you want to handle that? I, I will say a little bit. I think my understanding, it's it would be the purview of the resolutions uh, committee. Uh, we had several of these instances this year where we had affiliates that had their state uh, conventions really close to the national convention. And in those cases, uh, a few resolutions came out of those conventions that the resolutions committee considered. Uh, in addition, another example would be not this year, but last year <laughs> related to the Olympics and the uh, U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and their decision to not allow um, a uh, SSP to uh, to accompany a deafblind athlete to the uh, Olympic Games, in which case we had to respond very quickly and create a resolution that actually took place during the convention. So this would allow you in extenuating circumstances uh, to go ahead and consider such resolutions uh, if, if if required. But if there was no time constraint. Then the resolution committee chair and, and committee would have the ability to decline that resolution for that for, for this year. Again, I would focus on the language of effectively precluded there, where there is substituting for the resolutions, their consideration before the deadline date. Um, you, don't, right. you don't know of a situation that arises. Look, let me just say this out out front. Every organization requires that certain committees or certain cadres, certain groups of people be empowered to exercise discretion in certain realms. And you either trust that discretion or, or you don't. Um, I hear you, but I don't see a better way to say it. And we absolutely must absolutely uh, have to facilitate greater consideration, more careful and detailed considerations of resolutions prior to these uh, the, the general sessions of, of the uh, ACB convention. Thank you, Casey. Uh, any other hands for questions? Ted Chittenden. Yes. Um, with regard to how far in advance do we get notice of bills or things at the federal level that that could affect blind people. Is there a chance that we could get information about a bill inside of that 60 day notice where we would have to create an extenuating circumstance for that? Most certainly. Can I speak to that? That's why you have a a general rule, but you have an exception to the rule. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Robert Acosta. I heard 120 days down the road. I heard you in the uh, amendment, Mr. Chairman, you know, talk about that the resolution's chairman 
would be selected and five others and so on. And then I heard 120 days. Was I just dreaming or misheard? Thank you. No, I think the old language, uh, which we did not amend, the opening sentence mm-hmm. of Bylaw 6B uh, requires that uh, the president to appoint a, a resolutions committee within 120 days of the oh, that uh, was closing it. of convention. That's wholly unrelated. To sure. The- Thank you. You got it. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, Janine Lee. My question is now, if there is a state convention that happens, let's say within a month of the national convention and the state board votes and puts a resolution forward, would that be an extenuated circumstance? Because that's the only like at convention is where decisions are made and then it's a state makes Florida's convention is a month before ACB. So when we only have three weeks to put something forward before the next convention, is that extenuating circumstances? It was so regarded this year, I imagine that would be the policy going forward. We don't want to disfranchise anybody. I, I think so having it, a convention that close to national is crazy, but you're, it's your <laughs> Florida's right to do it. And okay. no, we would, we would understand and, you know, the, the, the idea is just to get a handle on the number of resolutions that, um, that the committee is considering and, and give it opportunity to get out there, get, get out there into the public among the membership to be debated. But that would be considered extenuating, I should think. Thank you, Janine. Frank Welty. Go ahead, Frank. Pardon me for not having the resolution in front of me, but was there language in there about uh, – about publishing the resolutions in the Braille Forum? And if so, does the stipulated uh, submission deadline give the sufficient time to the resolutions committee to prepare resolutions for publication prior to the June publication deadline, uh, submission deadline for the June forum? My understanding, Frank, was just that the notice uh, would be in the Braille form that that you would have to have resolutions in with this amendment, you know, 60 days before the the start of the 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 the, the yeah. annual business meeting. So if I, I jump in there briefly as a yeah. practical matter. I mean, I think the deadline for the June forum would be April 25th. OK, mm. or something like that. I, you're really talking about email distribution. And believe me, I'm, I'm all about email distribution, but right. you, the forum can't do that. But I think the forum was mentioned oh, yeah, as yeah, the place where the, the, the notice of, would be given. Giving people notice yes. that they've got to get their resolutions in by X date or that's, risk. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's, that, that's, that's where the reference was. The, the resolutions program. themselves, you need to be published you to, and bylaw and bylaw and con amendments too. But we need to do a better job with that going forward. And I think everyone recognizes the need for that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. When we have the record vote on these amendments, do, do, do we vote on them as a block? Or can people say yay to this one and nay to that one? Well, your individual votes are, are you know, you'll go down the ballot and check which ones you want, which ones you don't. As far okay. as the record as far as the affiliate votes, that depends on how the president or designated right. official in your affiliate has orchestrated the receipt of information and the apportionment of votes. Right. Does that answer your question? But, but each amendment is considered separately for oh, the yeah. individual yeah, votes. Yes. Not, okay. Yes. Yeah. okay. All right. Thank you. Sure. 
Gene Mann. Go ahead, Gene. I didn't. I didn't hear what the actual amendment to the amend to the bylaw was. Can you just quick tell me what it was? It's to basically have a deadline for the um, a deadline beyond which, except for extenuating circumstances, which would which would have effectively precluded consideration of the resolution, the resolution won't be considered by the committee. So now it's sixty days before the opening date of the convention. Okay, and before it was. 120 days or something? I forgot what it was. No, that was the appointment of the committee. The, the appointment of the committee has to take place 120 days after the the convention closes. So the but wasn't, 20- there a de- wasn't there a deadline for submission of resolutions originally? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you kidding? Exactly. People were meeting. People were meeting at one in the morning and then bringing a resolution. No, no, no. I mean, I thought in this, I thought in this bylaw that you had put a, des- a designated deadline. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sixty, day, sixty days before the start of the convention is what it's so been what, modified to. So I thought somebody made a friendly amendment or something. It was sixty days before the record date. Instead, we oh, changed okay. it to sixty which would days before the start of like the convention. Ninety days. Yeah. Okay, I got it. We made it ninety. Yeah. So okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thank Gene. Sure. Uh, do we have any other questions, Nancy? Patty Cox. Patty Cox. Go ahead, Patty. I just have a point of clarification. Mm-hmm. Um, what is extenuating circumstances? Because what was just said was that if there's a convention within that time frame, that they could still submit a resolution. Is that an extenuating circumstance? I think I've already clarified or- that it is. Yes, it would be so regarded. Okay. Thank you, Patty. John, I'm sorry, but I'm a little confused on this. Could you go back and just review? I believe what you what it says in the new in the amendment is that the president will appoint the chair within 60 days. And there's something about the, it being in the Braille Forum 120 days. I think that's where the confusion's coming in on that one. Thank you, Terry. Denise, Denise says it's time. Okay. All right. Well, let me ask Terry's answer Terry's question. What uh, I'm wondering. Yeah. The, the 120 days is notice of, of now the 60 days. So with it. Is that a, but is that 120 before? I, I believe that's where, that's where Doug kind of uh, originally had the confusion. It was 120 days before the start of the convention that you had to notice it in the, in the, in the Braille form. In the Braille form. Okay. I thought his yeah. was on the. Well, I mean, the, he, he was saying. Yeah. So, so yeah. we had in the, in the language for the um, amendment, we had 120 days that it had to be notified before the start of the convention related to the Braille forum. But then we had that it was 60 days before the um, record date that resolutions right. had to be in. So we changed that language to be 60 days before the start of the convention. So it'd be consistent with the notification of the Braille forum and the date that the resolutions had to be submitted. Okay. So the Braille forum is 120 days prior to the start of the convention. Correct. Just the notice, the letting everybody know that by by, by within 60 days, you have to have them in. Yeah. So that gives the, you know, people two months to get them ready. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Nancy. Our time has expired. We haven't had a chance to debate yet. So my question uh, to the body would be, uh, would we like to extend our um, 
uh, our standing rule for 20 minutes of debate. One thing I've learned through this process that's educating me in the Zoom environment with so many very engaged folks, there's a lot of um, questions for information and uh, and such. And so I think that's very valuable, but then it requires us to require a second block of time uh, for for debate if the body so chooses. So if we would like to extend debate for 20 more minutes on uh, per our standing rules to discuss amendment number four, uh, please raise your hand if you would like to extend debate 20 minutes. If you would like to vote against continuing debate for an additional 20 minutes, please raise your hand. If you're against the motion to continue debate for 20 minutes, please raise your hand against. All right. Uh, we'll, we're ready for the results of the vote on to extend the debate for 20 minutes on amendment number four. Those in favor of extending the debate is 32. Those against extending the debate is 113. All right. So I guess people feel like they have a good understanding of this resolution and do not wish to debate it any further. So at this point in time, uh, John and the Constitution and Bylaws Committee, thank you so much for your due diligence at work walking us through our Constitution and Bylaw amendments today. We really appreciate it. It's been fun, kind of. <laughs> and, and, and thank you all for your indulgence. Uh, we, we passed those resolutions, authorizations. Can the banks can now see the resolutions we passed? They're going to be happy. We hope, you know. <laughs> all right. So just a clarification for everyone. Again, thank you so much, John and Constitution and Bylaws Committee. At this point in time, we have uh, for our ballot on the there will be no ballot on the 12th of July as we had no amendments to constitution and bylaw amendments, the proposed amendments that required a record vote. So there'll be no voting on July 12th and on July 13th, we will have the final ballot, which will include three resolutions, resolution five uh, on capitalizing Braille resolution 15 on, I believe it's the Amazon um, accessibility center. And 16, which, I can somebody help me? I'm blanking out. Yeah, on that's that right the uh, uh, systemic, uh, you know, pursuing consent decrees and all that. that have, um, right. Related to settlements. and Settlements, and, yeah. Yes, right. yes. Okay. And pursuing Thank you. systemic, yeah. Right. And whether we, we continue to, um, yes. And then there's four. Uh, constitution and bylaw amendments, three constitutional amendments. Uh, the one is uh, on providing electronic notice uh, or a uh, or their designee uh, for the executive committee. Uh, number two is uh, the same language of providing electronic notice or their designee for special board meetings along with reducing the time for special board meetings to seven days. The third amendment is related to um, having the, um, uh, I'll, I'll call it the change, where we could have either two officers and one director from the same state or two directors and one officer. So it could not exceed three, but could be either combination. Right now, 
the uh, Constitution allows for two officers, but only one director. And then the fourth uh, is uh, to empower the resolutions committee uh, by a change in the bylaw uh, to allow um, uh, or require uh, that all resolutions be submitted 60 days prior to the start of the convention and that Braille, noti- Braille notification in the Braille form would happen 120 days uh, before the conventions. So, and that there are extenuating circumstances that would be considered by the resolutions committee. So those are our four amendments just for affiliates. So we'll have one ballot with all seven, um, items on it, the three resolutions and the four constitution and bylaw amendments. So you'll vote. They'll all be written out there and you'll vote yes or no on each of the seven all in one ballot on vote now for the individual vote. And in the affiliate roll call vote, Denise and Nancy and are going to have a, a, a big day. So each state and special interest affiliate will have to apportion their votes on each of the seven um, the three resolutions in the four constitution and bylaw amendments. So when we call Alabama with their three votes, they might say on resolution number five, we go one and two on resolution 15, we go two and one on, on resolution 16, we go 1.5 and 1.5 and, and on down the line. So affiliates need to do their homework and be ready to reply on all seven votes, uh, on Wednesday and timing wise, the um, vote now vote will open up at four o'clock central and will close at eight o'clock central. So again, four central, it'll open on vote now for the individual vote and it'll close at eight o'clock central on Wednesday. That's uh, four, four central, five Eastern, two Pacific. And then we will come back on the air at uh, 7 p.m. Central on Wednesday, the July 13th. And we will do the affiliate roll call vote once we have gavel back into uh, order and get everything set up. If you uh, if your affiliates have changed their delegate or their alternate delegate, please let Denise Colley know our secretary so she can update the delegate and alternate delegate uh, list. So with that said, uh, I will go ahead and call this meeting. Dan, quick question. Yes, go ahead, Rick. Uh, Do we open the Zoom meeting prior to the vote now? Uh, No, the Zoom meeting would open at 7 uh, p.m. Central. So the first time we are back on the air is 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central. That's correct on the 13th of July, Wednesday the 13th. Gotcha. So we stand stand adjourned. Mr. Mr. President. Go ahead, Jeff. Yes. Same question, and I don't want to be impeached by holding this up. Okay. Same question with respect to resolutions that was asked earlier. Will we be able to get the current content as amended of these constitutional amendments on constant contact by you know sometime tomorrow or something i would like, like to get him sometime tomorrow so thank you i talked to gabe earlier today john if you could you know if you could get me any amendment changes uh the friendly amendments to yeah i'll, me I'll by, get you an amended by, report i'm going to get you an amended report um you know with the language as i understand it people didn't come forward with specific 
language when they put these amendments out, but I think I was basically empowered to wordsmith to achieve what we all understood to be the desired amendment, and, and I'm prepared to release that early tomorrow morning at the latest. I better do it tonight, given the three-hour time difference. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, John. And, the, and yeah. the goal is to get all of those out for for the three sure, resolutions yeah. and the so they four amendments the ballot, so. out to constant contact leadership and conversation. Well, who should I send? Who should I send it to? Because I don't uh, have access. Yeah, send it to me and to Kelly Gask. Okay. Yeah. Can you also send it to me because I think and, it needs to go into the vote now ballot? Correct. That's correct. All right. Yes. So yes. Becker, Spoon, and Gask. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it. Correct. Through. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that updated, question, Jeff. I'll call it updated condom bylaws. I'll, I'll restyle it and, and put amendments in. I'm going to work on that once this meeting closes. Okay. At this point in time, I'm going to call the meeting adjourned, and we'll talk again on Wednesday.